0: Amen. What a privilege to be here again. You know, when I had a migraine this morning, and I was sitting there thinking, this is going to be a bad day for that to happen. <laughs> Not because I had to go to work. Uh, but the Lord is good. He's gracious. All right. Well, let's go ahead and we'll turn to our chapter. We are in Titus. Okay, and we are specifically focusing on, let's see if I can find this here, okay, uh, we're focusing on verses uh, 4 through uh, 7, probably going to get through 5 today, we'll see, but we'll start with verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray god our dear holy father what a privilege lord to call you our father and lord to know lord that you loved us in a time when we were unlovely and lord as we look at this tonight lord i pray that each one of us lord would be lord uh just have an attitude of praise and humility lord as we look back lord at that time in our lives when we cried out to you realizing our utter despair lord uh we do thank you for the opportunities that you give us, Lord, to, uh, Lord, look back so that we might be able to look forward to that blessed hope, Lord. And one day, Lord, we know we will see you. And Lord, uh, this, all that we know here will pass away. But Lord, we thank you for the opportunities now, Lord, to be a witness and that you left us here for. And Lord, I ask as we look at these verses, Lord, that you would just give, Lord, grace to the hearers. And Lord, uh, strength to me is, uh, and remembrance as to what we've, looked at, Lord, that you might get glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, we did a lot of review last week, and I'm going to, for sake of time, not review everything over again. Uh, Let's see here if we can get this up. So, we are looking at God's actions. And we covered this last week. I will kind of lightly go over this, but we saw that though we were in a state of rebellion to the creator of this universe, he saw fit to condescend to us. Really, that's a review of everything we covered. Not one of us can claim we didn't know or We, you know, that we were somehow guiltless of this. Every single one of us, were brought to the foot of the cross the exact same way. And that's really what Paul is focusing on here. He is wanting to remind the believers of where they were, so that they can understand and convey the love of God. So, as we look at this, we're going to go ahead and start with. But after that. What humbling words. (laughs) You stop and think about that. But after that. He isn't saying after we got our act together. (laughs) He isn't saying, but after we um, we were figuring it out or doing it right. No, no. But after we were rebellious. But after we had turned and done everything to really prove that we needed God. <laughs> it's after that that the kindness and love of our God, of God, our savior toward man appeared. It's after that. See, we go back even further and we look back at the Genesis account and we see that God from eternity past knew exactly what we were going to do. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I, I might have said it before, but has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? But after that, covers that thought. God knew what was going to be needed to save a wretched soul like me. He knew what it was going to take to save a wretched soul like you. He knew that it was going to sh- take the shedding of blood. And from the beginning, he conveyed it. He showed it time and time again through the Old Testament, clear into the New Testament. We're shown the exact same thing. Blood is going to be required. And the after that looks right back at that moment. That up until that point, up until Christ was sacrificed, everything was looking forward to it. And at that point, everything looks back to it. Our whole calendar, everything is focused on that one event, the coming of our Savior and he had to come that he might die. It's a gruesome thought. But the words here don't convey the gruesomeness of that. They don't. It's but after that the kindness and love of, our, of God our Savior. This is how our God looks at it. He doesn't look at it in a way that draws all the ugliness of humanity back into it, but rather looks at his character. And that's what I want to start looking at right here with the apostle, and that is that our attention has to be focused on this unbelievable, but yet needs to be believed truth, that we were wretched sinners running as far away from God and as separated from God as anybody ever can be. You can't be more separated from God than when you got saved. It's not possible. Everybody's at the same place. But then after that, nobody can ever be closer to God than you are. After that, God came down and died for sinners. I mean, we're all saved here. I've heard salvation testimonies. I don't think I've had Ellie's yet or heard Ellie's yet, but, you know, there's time for that. We're all saved. We profess to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. When was the last time you stopped and truly remembered that? The moment of your salvation. What was required? What was, what he has done in your salvation? The great exchange, as it's been called. By the shedding of his one life that could have been lived pretty much, I mean, because he's under, not under the curse of death, it could have been lived forever. It's, I mean, it's hard for us to understand this, but that was possible for him. But for us, it wasn't. And so he came, he died, but even more importantly, he rose again. Amen. This is the kindness of God our Savior, that appeared toward men. The apostle takes advantage of the character of God himself when he describes this. He wants us to understand and illustrate God's great love. He wants us to focus on God's kindness and love to men that is spoken of here and which uh, his designs, uh, let me make sure I've got this right here, Without glasses, it's fun. His designs were for providential goodness and kindness towards us. He wanted to show his love in the only way that could truly transform us. Without Christ's sacrifice, we were going to be eternally separated from God. And he knew that the only way for that to be reconciled, to be repaired, to be in the state that it was before Christ, the transgression, before the fall, was going to take his dear son. It is by our nature to rebel against God. But in that moment that we were saved, a new nature was put inside of us. We were given the ability to not rebel against God any longer. No, none of us are going to claim to be perfect. At least I hope none of us will, because I'll have to talk with you afterwards. None of us are. None of us can be. That's not what we're told. But we are told that he in us will make us like him. It's not us, it's him. And that's the next thing that the apostle looks at here. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done but according to his mercy that he saved us. It's not by that which we could bring. It's not by that which we could do. It's not by that which we could earn. It's not by any merit in and of ourselves, no bloodline, nothing was going to repair that breach. But it's by God's mercy. God gives us a seal, a promise, an understanding that we can always look to to know for sure that we are saved. And that's that his Holy Spirit resides within us. There are so many different teachings on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to encourage you, don't go listen to men about the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit. He tells you in his word, he says that the Holy Spirit resides in you and draws you to Christ. It, draw, it draws you, he draws you to obey. He draws you to be a new creature. He draws you toward God. Holy Spirit doesn't lead you towards nonsense. He doesn't lead you to speak in tongues. I'm going to preach that right here and say that. That's not how God works, unless those tongues happen to be the tongues of men so that they can understand and get saved. That's biblical. But the Holy Spirit does do something for us, and that is that he speaks to us of God's salvation and tells us that we are a child of God. What a precious thing for God to give us. A a comforter, greater than a friend, closer than a brother, that constantly reminds us in our state of reprobateness. (laughs) Can't call it anything else that we are a child of God, and not because of our own works, not because of anything else, but because the Holy Spirit is renewing us. Now, the Bible tells us how that happens, and it is through his word. His word will renew us. The Holy Spirit doesn't use something outside of God's word to, to renew you. As we study God's word, as we grow in God's word, we understand our Father better, and the Holy Spirit will bring that to remembrance to us. This is that relationship that the Holy Spirit has with men, and that is that he is a comforter using God's words. Just as Jesus, when he was present, was a comforter because God's words were being preached, they knew that, and he said someone greater was going to be there in that. I mean, that's hard for us to believe as well. (laughs) But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we were going to be able to live the Christian life. It says here in our text, "Which He shed abroad or shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior." The Holy Spirit came because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice." it's a simple thought. This isn't um, I'm not going to be preaching anything here that you are not familiar with, at least I hope I'm not going to. I want to reinforce that which we've already know. The Apostle Paul did the same thing when he wrote this to Titus. I have no doubt Titus knew this. I have no doubt that Titus's listeners knew this. Now, why would he do it? Well, for the same reason that we need it. We need to be reminded. Yes, amen. We have this idea that what we can do for God somehow has more merit than what he did for us. I don't, I'm not going to apologize for that. We do. We have this thought that somehow we can bring more to the table than Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That's why there are many men who don't turn to Jesus Christ. That's why people don't do that. Because they think that they can inherit eternal life, some other means, by some other way. But it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But it's by his mercy. Pastors said it before you got to get somebody lost before you can get them saved. You have to, you have to repent of your good works as much as your bad. You can't be looking to Jesus plus anything else. Somebody once said, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. There's so much truth in that simple equation. We can't add anything to Jesus Christ and a sacrifice because we take away when we do. All we bring is a negative. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I'm going to be going back and forth as we go through this. There's a, quite a bit to cover. There are many works that people do trying to be religious it doesn't make this passage is not a reminder that religious works aren't good it's a reminder that religious works don't save and this is important because works of righteousness is a very jewish phrase and you'll read it throughout the entire old testament multiple times time upon time upon time what works of righteousness look like he wasn't talking about works that we do that are Good towards men; these are works that specifically were done towards God. So he's reminding the Jewish audience here, specifically, that even the things that we do for God, with a religious intent, with a fervor, that's not how a man gets saved. Now, granted, can we still read this and, and read all of our good works as in things we do towards others? You know, glass of water and things like that. You know, like the Bible and Revelation says sure we can read it that way but he's specifically calling out those religious deeds those things which we attach more merit to because we did them for god it doesn't matter how much we wanted for those to be righteous unless it was the holy spirit working in us to do it they have no eternal value They might have earthly value. They might have temporal value. I'm not taking away from that. It's still good to help people. But eternal value is found in that which the Holy Spirit does within us. And the Apostle Paul is drawing us to this thought. Because everything else he's going to build on as we come to the end of this is going to be based on this key thought here at the beginning. according to his mercy. The mercy of God is natural and essential to him. God is mercy. God is just. These are things we know. They're part of who he is. They are, uh, I forget who it was who used to say it, but they're one of the perfections of God. They are complete in God, meaning there is no better way to be merciful than God. There's no better way for us to be just than to emulate what God does as justice. These are attributes that define God for the human mind. He is absolute mercy is another way of saying that or thinking about it. There's no greater mercy outside of God. God offers this mercy from his sovereignty and freedom. He offers it. He is not constrained to give us mercy. No actions we do, nothing we can imagine, no words we can say can stir up more mercy from God than that which he had from eternity past for us. That's a concept that's really hard for us to grasp because we start with everything having cause and action. So something happens and then something else happens. So if you want to go with that thought, The mercy happened, then the need for the mercy came. (laughs) It's backwards the way we think, but that's how God is. He knows the beginning from the end. It's all the same to him is another way of thinking that. He knew, and there is no more or less mercy in this universe than what is needed for his creatures. It's another way of looking at it. He didn't create more. It's just what is needed is present he's a god of order. So, with that, it's not like our directions and the things we do cause him to show that mercy towards us. And the apostle Paul wants us to understand this concept that the mercy was there from the beginning, but now the applying of the mercy comes down to the creature. This is we have to accept it. We teach this whenever we go out and we we share the gospel. We tell people that unless you accept the gift, you're not able to be saved. If I hold out a $100 bill and you don't grab it, the $100 bill still stays with me. You receive it, and now it's yours. God's mercy is the same way. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't general mercies shown on the whole world. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. We're not talking about uh, the mercy that he didn't decide to fold the whole thing up at the beginning well within his ability and power, which is also unfathomable to me. and that, that will lead to a rabbit hole. But God loves us so much that he made provision for everything from the beginning in his son. And the Apostle Paul is taking us to that moment and reminding us that according to his mercy, he saved us. In such simple words, yet so much truth is carried by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. God loves you so much he didn't want to leave you in the state that you were in. God loves you so much that he was willing to make a plan and follow it through that involved the cross. God loves you so much he was willing to let sinful men come and take hold of his son. God loves you that much that we might have the hope of eternal life. And that hope there is a confidence. That hope there is a knowledge that he will complete. He will see this to its end. He will bring us to eternal life. It won't be because we decided to run the race better. It won't be because we're now enabled to do better. Those aren't the reasons why it will happen. That is the, how do I say it? He has enabled us now to, bring him glory in it. But because of this and his choice, we can have it. Now, that's where some of the uh, people who are confused with Reformed theology get off. And they would say that this is, God does it all and we do nothing. No, no, that's not how it works here. But I can tell you this, when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to what was needed to purchase you, to set you apart, God did everything. And it wasn't because of you that he did it. Well, I mean, it wasn't because of the things you were going to do. That's what I'm trying to say. We needed and we need to be regenerated. We need to be people that can bring God glory. This world needs to see that. This washing, I'm always reminded when I read this section of a lighthouse. Every single time. And I think about that glass on the lighthouse and how quickly on the Oregon coast, because I live there in Newport, that that glass just gets coated. And it gets the light gets scattered. And if you know anything about lighthouses, they're designed to create lenticular beams, or straight beams that shine out through the darkness, letting people know of the dangers ahead and letting them know positionally where they were at before GPS. Um, But if that lens wasn't clear, it was sending an unclear signal. I think, God, that we are washed and made clean so that we don't have to send an unclear signal to this world of who we serve and who he is. We need to be regenerated, and we need to be renewed by the Holy Ghost. We need to be made different than who we are outside of Christ. If you were saved... Any time in the past and your life hasn't changed, I'm not telling you you need to check your salvation, but you need to check whether or not you're serious about God's word. The Holy Spirit has to have been convicting you if you're his child. The Holy Spirit has to be working on you because that is what he does. Um, Spurgeon, I think, is the one who said that he's the hound of heaven. I mean, it's a good reminder. If anybody's ever seen hunting hounds at all, Does a hunting hound ever lit up? Do they get distracted easy? (laughs) No. When they're on the track, they're on the track, and they will run whatever it is up the tree. God's just like that with us. His Holy Spirit keeps after us and draws us to that relationship because he has a purpose, and we're told that. I didn't note this down. It's outside of my notes. But we're told that he wants to make us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. So, in fact, he says that he will do that. That's pretty certain words coming from God. And as we know, that means it's going to happen. We, we could take it to the bank, as I've heard preachers say. There's no doubt that God is going to change us to the image of his dear son. Yes. The sooner we're willing to get on with God's program, the better. More people will get to know Jesus Christ through our lives. Less heartache will be in our lives. What a wonderful thing to be saved young or be raised in a family that knows Jesus Christ, that goes to a a Bible-believing, especially Baptist church. And I say that because Baptists are very focused on doctrine, on growth, on the word being preached faithfully. What a wonderful thing, because you can avoid heartaches in your life that so much of this world's gone through. pastor could share about his life up until he got saved. I was saved young. Everything I did wrong was after I got saved. And I wish I could take those things back. I do. If we will look to the Lord, he, will, he promises he will help us to not go through those things. Only those things which will bring out God's glory and Christ's likeness in us will be allowed. Everything else comes from us going after it. Now, does that mean he, you know, that he just takes his hands off and doesn't? No, he's the one who allows those things to come in. Just like a good father, sometimes I let my, my children make mistakes. I'm sure they could share about the times I've let them make their choices and their mistakes. And they regret that they did that. But like a good father, I also don't let them do it without knowledge, without reminding he lets us go through things, but it's only it's not to break us, but it is to bring us closer to him. To put more trust, more faith in him and the work he's doing in us. I don't want to forget. Let's see where I put this. Uh-huh. Okay, so we've got some questions in our book before I move too far here. So, question five What are some examples of Jesus' good works of kindness that he performed while on earth? What are some examples? I think I have a slide too that was. That some examples. Healing a, leper. healing a leper. Okay, anybody got any others? I think mean, we got quite a few here. In fact, the Bible says that if all the works had been written down, there wouldn't be enough to to write it all down. There's so much that he did. It's always been impressive on me that that right after Herod uh, murdered John, the next thing Jesus did was feed the 5,000. Yes. Wow. He knew he would see his dear friend again. But yes, he fed the 5,000. That's an amazing miracle in it. I'm not going to preach on, on that right now. But yes, it's uh, just amazing. God didn't need five loaves and fishes. He could have created every bit of it without those. But he used the faithfulness of a, of a child. How cool. <laughs> and that's what he does. He uses us. Same thing. Absolutely. How about he paid taxes? with money from a fish? <laughs> He knows and he cares, and he knows what our needs are. He's amazing. What can we say? All right. How do you feel when someone says that he loves you, but his actions towards you scream that he doesn't? How does that make you feel? Anybody have a friend like that? Et (laughs) tu, Brute? No? No? Well, I can say personally it makes me feel awful. I've had a friend that, you know, out one side of his mouth he was saying that he loves, he cares for our relationship, and yet everywhere, everything that was going on showed the exact opposite. One of the things that it does for us is it causes separation. At least it did with me and my friend. I tried, but ultimately it's hard to be around somebody that is... Against you. How can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a simple concept. Anybody else on that? Or? Okay. So I think after I, after I got saved, I learned that the friends I had in the world that wasn't really friendship. Yes. It's more of a selfish thing. On both parts, my part as well. Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, Absolutely. I have since i've been saved i've had friends that are based on that relationship with jesus christ and it's a night and day difference i can't say they've all been perfect but i can say it's way different i have friends you know like these missionaries when i went to go visit the will heights i didn't know them i didn't know him from adam but yet in the time we were there we had that closeness and that fellowship that kinship that comes from our relationship with jesus christ there is no relationship closer other than that which we have with the Holy Spirit and with God and Jesus, because they are one. All right. Why is it wrong to determine whether or not God loves you based on whether or not he brings about beneficial circumstances on your behalf? Why is it wrong to determine whether or not God loves you based on whether or not he brings about beneficial circumstances on your behalf. I kind of covered this in this, so it should be easy, but anybody? Well, kind of assuming that we're smart enough to know what's actually beneficial for us. Amen. Are we smart enough to know what's best for us? Any parent can say, no, we're not. We think we are, and we could we could say that some things might be beneficial for a time, but God knows what's best. There's a It's an interesting thought to think of good, better, and best. And we're given that analogy in the Bible, that some things in life are good, but a lot of things are better, and even yet, some things are best. And it's always best to go after what God wants us to go after, or how God would have us to go after. You know, it's that that, uh, discussion we could talk about, like money. Okay, so... Is it best for everybody to have enough money to be able to make it through and do everything that they need to do and pay off all their debts and stuff? In a human reasoning, we would say that would be best because then nobody has any debts or anything. But God might know better about you and that that money would separate you from God in your actions and your thoughts. And so he knows what's better. He knows the best choice for you, and so he might reserve for you not to have that. See, we don't know ourselves as we ought to know ourselves. The heart is desperately wicked above all things, and who can know it? That actually has an answer. Who's the answer? God knows our heart, and he knows it intimately. You cannot lie to God. It's impossible to lie to God. You can think you're lying to God, but he knows the truth. He is truth. He dwells in truth. <laughs> this is a description of our God. We, the only person we fool when we tell a lie is ourselves. We might take a few people with us, but we never fool God. And it's a dangerous thing to lie to the Holy Spirit. We've got some examples in Scripture of that. Let's not, let's not do that. So, Let's see here. Time-wise, I don't think I'm going to finish up past five. Uh, We've covered most of five through seven, uh, but I have a little bit more I'd like to speak on about uh, six and seven. I think what we're going to do time-wise, can I have a few more minutes? I'm asking pastor. Okay. I just want to make sure time-wise I don't run too long here. Um, All right. So then we'll come back to that. Um, So we're given an object lesson in our books. And we're supposed to, it says here, you know, display a disinfectant. And if I was to read you the label of a disinfectant, it's got all these things that kill viruses, kill bacteria, kill stuff. It says it kills only 99% of germs on that label. So uh, it says here, ask the learners if they would eat directly off the church's bathroom floor if I cleaned it with that disinfectant. How many of us would, other than Levi? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. How many? No? No? It's, a, it's an argument I've had with my kids about this. So if I was to tell you that I bake brownies, but in those brownies is something really disgusting. I'll let you fill that in. But there's something in those brownies that you don't want to put in your body. But I say it's only the smallest portion of it is mixed into those brownies. How many of you would go and just eat the brownies? Other than Levi, whose hand I knew would go up. <laughs> we wouldn't. See, our sins are like that. They taint everything. They, the littlest sin gets in and it, it will create the worst ends. And that's why we need a Savior who can cleanse us thoroughly. That's why we need a Holy Spirit that indwells us. Because without His Holy Spirit doing that, our sins would take us again. They would destroy us. Because, you know, like the Apostle Paul said, who can save me from this body of death? (laughs) That's another rhetorical question. And he answers it. I thank God through Christ Jesus. Our sins want nothing more than to separate us from God. Even after you're saved, that old man still hangs on. Because Sins are pleasurable for a season. This is why we need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ and why we need to take time to gather together and come on Wednesdays and Sundays, that we might be encouraged by God's word and by our relationships with one another and the Holy Spirit dwelling with us in unity, that we might live lives that other men see Christ in us, that we might live lives that transform our lives, not into a better version of Travis Reeves or a better version of Pastor Crawford or Austin or Ellie, but truly into who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's not a better version of ourselves, but truly it is him in us, the hope of glory. All right, let's pray. God our heavenly Father, we do thank you for these simple truths, Lord, and I do pray that uh, you'll help us, Lord, to be retrospect, Lord, this week as we look at our lives and, Lord, we truly ask ourselves those questions, Lord: Do I bring you glory? Does the the choices I make and the things I say draw people to you, Lord? If we find ourselves wanting in any of those areas, we thank you, Lord, that you give us instruction in your word and you give us fellowship with one another lord and lord direction instructions and righteousness lord through your word that we can be thoroughly furnished lord unto all the good works that you have for us lord and i ask that you'd work in each one of us lord to desire that truly in our lives lord that you could get glory and lord that we could fulfill the chief end of man which is to bring you that glory Lord, we do love you and thank you and ask your blessings now on the week, Lord, and on the services. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.